This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho, it's the Men in Blazers podcast, Rog. Oh, happy Valentine's Day, David. Happy Valentine's Day. I'm not Rog. a big believer in Valentine's Day, David. I've never, it's Ev- never been my favourite, hol- it's not even a holiday, day. Yeah, I think every day is Valentine's Day with a Rog. Yeah, you can't Sa- describe Says nobody. Yeah, <laughs> really. Yeah. How does Mrs. B feel about Valentine's Day? She believes that if you have to make a day out of it, yeah. then it doesn't exist. It's that's pretty a well good her point. approach. I mean, that's her approach, that's become my approach. But what, what, do, you, what do you do on Valentine's Day? Pod. <laughs> Watch Champions League football. Yeah. And just think about football all yeah. day and all night, generally. Um, but I record this with you, and I wanted to ask you whether you believe in Valentine's Day. But I thought, why have an on-the-surface conversation? Mm-hmm. Do you believe in love, David? Of course We've never I discussed it. this. Of course but do I you really? Or are you just knee-jerk telling me that? When it comes down to it, I'm a hopeless romantic. You are. Yeah. Well, there's a difference between romance and love. Romance is occasional and is a moment, a feeling. Yeah. I think love, I think about love as just a long-term thing. Yeah. Well, maybe, but I believe in love. So if you, are you asking me, do I believe in I, long-term I mean, love? Yeah, I mean, I know you believe in wooing and courting. <laughs> but and I know course. you believe in chaste medieval poetry writing. Yeah, I do. I love yeah, that. You're very I good love at that. You're, you're, that's but one of I, many qualities uh, I admire yeah, about you. I, believe, I absolutely believe in long-term love. You do? Yeah, I haven't been particularly good at it in my own life, but I do believe in it. As an ideal. Yeah. I, I, it is an ideal. I mean, I, Philip Larkin once wrote in a poem, Arundel II, he said, what will survive of us mm. is love. And although there's a widespread debate about whether Philip Larkin was being ironic yeah. with that line, I like to believe irrelevant, irrespective. For me, that is it. Love, love is long-term. It's a grind. It's a project. It's an investment, a lifetime's work. I'm speaking as an Everton fan. Mm. Reality best captured, I guess, by the greatest love song of all time, Comfort You, by Van Morrison. But what was your first love, David? Well, my mum. I mean, most people love that. That's how you learn how to love through your mum. I was just about to say when you said, do you believe in love, is that I spoke about this at my mum's funeral, is that my mum would always sign off her letters to me in postcards, I-L-Y-M-T-L-I, I love you more than life itself. My mother never used the word love, but she would use L as an abbreviation for love. That's such an English thing. She just didn't want to L. tarnish it. She would it. never tarnish it by using the word love. She would never say it in never a conversation. She it. would never, never cheapen it, but always L. And she, my mum L'd a lot of things, and she taught me to L, uh, without a doubt. But like everyone learns, learns love of their mum. You know who told me that? Steve Parrish actually explained that to me. Did he I, loved your mum? No, no, Steve Parrish explained <laughs> to me when, when my mum was sick, and, he said, and I, I said, like, it's affecting me a lot more than I thought it would. And he said, look, it's everybody's first love. Like, you know, not everybody, but most men, first person they ever love is their mum. It's sort of how you, ha- how so you learn it as a little boy. God, Steve Parrish would L a, uh, yeah. a reliable goal-scoring striker yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, my first L was not my mum. Yeah. There's one that predated that for me. For, before Val? Yeah. Wow, I would have loved Val. Dana Plato. Dana Plato, really, your yeah, first love? different strokes. Yeah. I know, but that's not a real person you'd actually met, Rod. It was, you've, though. You've already it just checked though. me. You've checked me on when I said that I'm a hopeless romantic. They're yeah. like, oh, no, but Davo, romance is not love. It's not really not the same thing. Love is, love is lifelong. And yeah. then you're going to say, no, but your first love 
yeah. was Data Plato. Yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm finding it tough to resolve <laughs> those issues. <laughs> and my Kellyanne Conway. Yeah, you. exactly. Do you know, I think I might be confusing love with uh, with cheap American sexiness. <laughs> I always Okay, did. so Dana Plato was your first yeah, love. Yeah, for young, young Rog. She uh-huh. taught me early on one of the most important lessons about love, I think, which uh-huh. is that love is most always doomed. I, my second love yeah. was um, when I moved on from Dana. Uh-huh. I moved on to Dave Thomas. Not, <laughs> not, not the Wendy's. The Wendy's not hamburger the, guy. <laughs> That's the first thing that no. came to my mind. Well, what, is there another Dave I think Thomas? He, I think I'd file him under childbearing <laughs> hips, that guy. There's a, there's, a, there's a stealth attractiveness about that Dave yeah. Thomas. Mine was the Everton winger from the... 19, late 1970s, the one uh-huh. who uh, Pacey, Winger, firing across like a mounted archer on a, uh-huh. a Mongolian horse. He, my schoolboy hero, Bob mm-hmm. Latchford, netted 30 goals in the season. Does that even register for you as a Chelsea fan? Yeah, no, absolutely. I remember Latchford. Well, it was Thomas who delivered assist after assist, like the Stockton to his Malone. Apart from his short trip, even tighter than John Stockton's, if you can picture that. And what I love most about him was that in an era in which like the defenders were so lumpen they just would perform open ankle surgery on anyone who tried to run past them. He insisted on wearing no shin guards. Yeah, and he'd play hard. with his socks rolled down as if he was just taunting them, as he was trolling them. He was like Tom Davis before there was yep. a Tom Davis. All fashions recycle themselves. That's why I've always loved David. The Endeavour, the Tryhards, the Seamus Coleman's, the Harry Arters, the Georgie Boyd's, the Dax McCarty's. The Juan Mata, are the beacons of joy, the Juan Matas, the David Silvers, the Heather O'Reilly's, the Sons. You know, because when you texted me earlier and you said, we're going to be talking about love at the beginning of the pod, and I want you to think about who your first love was. Yeah. I didn't think that it was going to come down to the guy who crossed the ball for Bob Latchford. What else is that? Because I started thinking about who actually was the first person I ever felt that feeling of like, Love, not just like, you know, we spoke, remember we had the serious show and I spoke about Kirsty. Yeah. And there would be some black is probably remembering right now. Kirsty, I've got it. Just it's refresh on, on memory. Kirsty was a girl who I went to primary school with and was certainly the first girl that ever, you know, took me out of that, oh, I don't like girls. Took me out of that, oh, wait a minute, I quite like girls. Yeah. That was the Kirsty. That she was the one. I was probably about, I don't know, nine or ten or something. But the first girl I ever, and I sort of feel several People in my life have taught me about love. But the first girl who gave me that feeling, more than the feeling, gave me the feeling. It happened at a school disco. Let me take you back. School discos in all boys schools. They would, they would smell they, the dry ice. Yeah, they would bus in the girls from, from local schools. Oh, girl, as you walk in, a har is blasting and you're like, you know, tonight is a night. It's all going to go down for young Dave. It wasn't a har. It was human league. She was working as a waitress in a cocktail bar. Boom, like the sound system's on. And as the girls are dancing, the boys start trying to move in. And in this circle of girls who I believe were from a state school just down the road from where I went to school, there was a girl dancing in the circle. And what separated her from everyone else <sighs> dancing to human... I just remember it like it was yesterday. And you know what my memory's like. She was wearing a golden dress. She had golden hair. She was wearing golden makeup. And golden shoes. Could other she people was, see her? Was she real or were you she just was imagining her? No, she was all <sighs> dressed in gold. She was, it was the early 1980s, Rog. Do you know what I'm mentally picturing? <laughs> yeah, what? CeeLo at the Grammys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah, it was different, but it was a... Oh, it's beautiful. At that point, she was a 14, 15-year-old girl just who'd come committed 
had dressed in gold, done her makeup in gold, and was golden dancing to the Human League. And I sort of slowly moved into the circle. We danced, and then the slow songs came on, Peaches and Herb. Yeah. Mrs. Jones, those songs, and uh, the slow dancing happened. And really, she became my first girlfriend, Juliet, surname withheld. And uh, Is that a double barrel, Nate? That's an excellent that's an excellent last name. And for two and a half months, that was at that point, that was like a that was like a 30-year relationship at that age. I was around 15 years old. We uh just had the most glorious relationship. She knew all the words to Sugar Hill Gang, to Rapper's Delight. We would sort of, you know, I don't know, go and hang out outside the McDonald's in Bromley. Occasionally go up to town and hang out on the oh. King's Road, and you know, and have your hormones just pop on the street. Oh, just, oh, just it was just amazing. It was, it was a two and a half month whirl, and then I remember being over at her house in Eltham, in South London, and she was uh, folding uh, clothes, putting away her clothes, and she says, "Oh, remember this? This was the dress I was wearing the night of the school disco when we met." And it was blue. And I was like, no, it wasn't. You were wearing a golden dress. She goes, no, it wasn't. This is what I was wearing. It was an I go, incredibly what are the shoes you were wearing? Early version of that meme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That dress. What color so is it? So you're telling me in the 1970s, before the internet was invented, you were having that issue with the memes. Look, Dave, you, you were, no, oh, look, so ahead of there are only time. two ways to explain this. And I said, yes, yeah. no, you're wearing a golden dress. You're wearing golden shoes. She goes, no, I wasn't wearing green shoes. Show me the... Show me the, the, the sort of the brown shoes she's wearing. I said, no, but your makeup was gold. She goes, I didn't have any gold makeup on. And there are only two ways to explain this. Yeah. One, my deep love of the color blue, that it was just, it's so overpowering that I therefore saw it as being golden <laughs> in that moment. But I think more likely it was about what first love is a little bit like. Yeah. Is those, that it the, is, those just the you see everything in this golden the, light, this, this, the, oh. this sort of like gold infused moment of just absolute magic which is quite difficult to sustain <laughs> as long as two and a half months. It's very, very difficult. And that was like something I really just remember at age 15, like learning about, oh my God, like you fall and everything is magical and changes, but it might not always be reality. Oh, Dave, I've got to tell you, just mentally picturing the dry ice, <laughs> that half a <laughs> pint of league. cider that you'd drunken before oh. you got there, little Dave to get oh. his confidence up. A special up. brew. The Phil Oakley. A special brew. Carlsberg special <laughs> oh, brew. Yeah. Fantastic back then. Yeah. When you were like seven or eight, yeah. it made you feel on top of the world. <laughs> I didn't drink it at seven or eight, Rob. <laughs> it just gave you that extra little bit of, you know, that edge. Yeah. And then... You're there and you hear Phil Oakley. Everything must have been basked in gold. Uh, and those feelings that you couldn't quite uh, understand stirring in your down belows. Uh, oh, you know what? It wasn't just down belows, though, Rog, because that's a different. That's the thickening. It wasn't the down belows. It was, I felt the precursor to love. I felt love. It was just, bam. Just like the feelings I have for Tom Davis. Similar. <sighs> who do you love now? Because I've tried to put a list together of who I love. John Oliver. Billions, the best, worst show ever, returning. Hashtag T-Max. Love that show. Got some new loves. Developing a crush on Jake Tapper. <laughs> I know you're wearing, day to day. You're wearing his uh, a button, a Jake Tapper button on the show I yesterday. Just, I admire his tenaciousness. I can I just say, I don't know if she listens to the pod. I'd be quite shocked if she did. But Maggie Haberman, I've no idea who she is. Never mind met her. But I spend, I would put about 23% of my waking hours checking her Twitter feed. She's a New York Times White House correspondent. I, 
I just live for her right now. She is love as sanity for me right now. For more on all of that, listen to our political podcast, Keeping It 1700. <laughs> Henceforth, name change to Pod Save the Queen. It's Davey and me talking politics. Oh, that's good. Most of all, though, Davey, you know what yeah. I realised I love trying to think about this? Yeah. I love our GFOPs. Oh. You lot who listen to our suboptimal crap. Our crap. Yeah. I mean, I am trying so hard this year to give out only love. Mm-hmm. And as I say, the love we get from you, listeners, dear listeners, on a week in, week out, day-to-day basis, it's the deepest love um, that I experience outside of my own family. It's what keeps us going. That, Tweed, Guinness, Rebecca Lowe, and of course, contractual obligations. In that regard, (laughs) one of our goals at Men in Blazers for the year ahead is to get out on the road, to go out and be alive, to be with you. Yes. Men in Blazers, GFOPs. And so we're launching something called Men in Blazers Over America. Mm-hmm. Because we're gents of our word, we're actually going to start this. We're yeah. not just going to talk about it, which is what we normally do. We're going to do it. Yeah. And we're going to which city, David? Uh, Seattle. Home of your world champion, Seattle Sounders. Yeah, exactly. Sounders, Sounders on March 16th. Yeah. My brother Nigel's birthday. It's going to be amazing. David. Producers JW and Lex. Yeah. We're all headed to the showbox. Oh, really? Yeah, we're going to do a show with Jordan Morris's daddy. Huh. Tons of sounders and some special guests. I can tell you, secret, we've invited Sir Mix-a-Lot. <laughs> God, I've just had such a good idea for a guest. You have? Yeah. Bill yeah. Nye the Science Guy. The first TV show I ever did was Bill Nye the Science Guy. It's the only time I ever went to Seattle before March 16th. But I'm going to give Bill Nye a call, see if he can come up and do something on the science of soccer. Oh, I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks trying to find that girl uh, surname withheld. <laughs> surname, surname hyphen withheld. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm going to try and bring her on stage. <laughs> She's coming in a gold dress. Tickets go on sale. No, Davo, it's blue. Tickets go on sale <laughs> to the general public this Sunday. Yeah. But will be available on pre-sale. Wow. Wow, that's organised. To Sounders season ticket holders. Lexi must have done that. Beginning Friday. Uh-huh. And also to GFOPs in the greater... Seattle slash Washington uh, area, um, particularly if you are on the Ninth Circuit, we would love to have you. In fact, I will give you, if you're on the Ninth Circuit, yeah. any of you listeners, uh-huh. I will give you free tickets uh-huh. and I'll buy you a half a Guinness, half pint only, so you keep your sobriety. Uh, but you can access that pre-sale via a special edition of the Men in Blazers newsletter, The Raven, yeah. which will drop this Friday. So if you're in Seattle, the greater Washington area, we are coming to be with you in your loving embrace on March 16th. If you want to get tickets, sign up for The Raven. You can subscribe. Let me scratch that. You should subscribe via our website, meninblazers.com. Also, thanks for your response to the Men in Blazers show this weekend. Yeah. We had Dan Katz on. Yeah. Saturdays are for Rebecca Lou. Yeah, big cat. Yeah, he hit those pies with the ferocity of Charles Oakley trying to attack number, Bloody Dolan. Yeah, number one ranked pie eater of all time on our shows. And I predict, David, yeah. he's going to be the breakout star of Barstool. He is, well, at Barstool, God, there are a lot of stars over at Barstool. Dave, KFC, really El Presidente, the amazing people over there, Lenny. But i got to tell you, Dan Katz <sighs> has something quite special. You sort of feel... He does remind me a little bit of when I first met Jimmy Kimmel. He's got that winning everyman kind of sexiness. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, he's got all the youthful potential of an American Alfie Mawson. Mm. Our <laughs> show is back. We're going to have to replenish pie stocks. Mm. February 27th, 5.30, after Leicester City.
lose to Liverpool. We've got a packed show. We're going to break down Liverpool's emphatic win over a shell-shocked Spurs at Anfield. We're going to recap league leaders Chelsea's draw with Ginger Mourinho and co. in Burnley. And we celebrate a great weekend for routine win as Arsenal, United and City all deliver nonchalant 2-0 victories. Plus, £280, 46-year-old reserve Sutton United goalkeeper and absolute ledge Wayne Shaw joins us from Gander Green Lane to talk about his fifth-tier side's looming FA Cup clash with Arsenal. can't wait to speak to him. He's proof that it's our professional careers for you and me are still possible, Dave. Yeah. But we've got to get into it. Here is the Guinness. Yeah, crack it open, Rog. Oh, well handled, Rog. You've got so much better at that over the years. That's because I'm scared of let who goes <laughs> mad when I spill it. Yeah. Raise a glass yeah. and say to Charlie Rose, our mate, who's recovering from undergoing heart valve replacement surgery. That man is an inspiration as an interviewer and a gent who's working harder than ever, age 70, bloody five, to health and happiness and a speedy return, Charlie Rose, to life. Wow, it's the first I'm hearing of that. I adore Charlie. Um, Quite shocked to hear about that, Rog. So uh, we are 25-38 of the way through the Premier League season. It looks like Diego Costa might have to delay that March holiday to Ibiza (laughs) until at least April as the chasing peloton inched closer, Mm. closer, closer. We're going to try and make it dramatic, Rog, to Chelsea this weekend. First off, Liverpool 2, Tottenham 0. After going 0 for 2017, a fully charged red side batter spurs at Anfield behind a 2-minute and 18-second brace from Sadio Mane. Liverpool are in fifth place, 11 points behind Chelsea. Spurs slipped to third, 10 points behind the league leaders. Oh, fascinating battle between two hard-charging teams that have got so much in common. Both teams constantly have to prove their bona fides. Both have taken gut punches. Spurs still with that singe psyche from last year's late claps. Oh, Liverpool, your entire 2017 had been like a perpetual left hook to a glass jaw just over and over and over on repeat. So it was no surprise when it was also frenzied right from the kickoff. Both teams coiled to spring at their opponents the seconds they overextended themselves. And Liverpool, they, they just broke with a speed that I've only ever seen in French Connection car chases, really doing a spurs to spurs. Because Spurs' defensive injuries, no Vertonghen, no Danny Rose, they took a terrible toll. And that vaunted Spurs' defence without those two guys, it's just not the Spurs' D. It was an easy D, David, mm. in famous, famous words. Eric Dyer and Ben Davis tried to slip in, but both seemed unsure of when they should stay, when they should go. A glaring weakness, which Liverpool quickly took advantage of in the 16th minute. Wijnaldum sprung Mane, Ben Davis oh, trying to catch up. Fantastic No ball. chance. Yeah, Mane finishes. Yeah, I mean, God, he gave an exposed lorry. I mean, he fell over as he shot it. It was like seeing someone give him the eyes mm. and the legs. He they, gave him the legs, Rog. They, they, he uh, gave him the legs. What can a goalie do when oh, you no, give when him you the get legs? The, he could deal with the eyes, but when he gives me the legs. <laughs> Liverpool kept coming in waves. They were like delirious linebackers blitzing on every play. And 138 seconds later, Mane struck again. Yeah, Mane struck again. This one a little messier. Uh, Rod, ball fell to several players. It's like I think shooting it was, practice. Yeah, Lalana, Firmino. I think Kenny Dalglish had a shot at some point <laughs> in that sequence and uh, ends Brendan up being Mane. Yeah, Brendan had the, well, Brod said it was him. As I said on the show, Liverpool, they just missed Sadio Mane more than Toto missed the reins down in Africa. Yeah. There was a story this week about a chess grandmaster, Timur Garyev, 28 year old, who broke the world record for blindfold chess 
He played 48 games simultaneously in Vegas, and he won 80 while he was wearing a blindfold and pedaling on an exercise bike. Very mm. theatrical flair, that one. He rode 50 miles and won 80% of the games. That was Mane in this game. He did yeah. everything. He absolutely did everything. He demolished everyone. J-Dubs and I were talking about him. He's like John Wall, just that. He blows past you with that acceleration so fast the defenders don't even know where he's gone. And he seems to have turned up his game since Southampton, where he was somewhat erratic and was very interested in playing when contracts were about to be renewed, less interested when they weren't. Here he really seems to be taking on a leadership role and making everyone around him feel more confident, more cocksure. Well, I think Klopp has made it very clear how he feels about the player, you know, springing him from the... I think they sent a jet to the Africa Cup of Nations to bring him back before the Chelsea game. He's obviously valuable. I think what makes him so difficult to play against is that... And actually, this entire Liverpool team, when they're playing well, like they played at the weekend, is that so many players are playing between the lines. And as a defender, especially when you've got your not-first-choice defence playing against that, it's just very, very hard to go and cover those guys. My only emotion in that first half was, thank God the American Cameron Carter Vickers wasn't playing. It mm. would have been a bloodbath for a boy so young. But 2-0 Liverpool, it could have been so many more. Spurs yeah. were fragile. They were skittish. They were scarred. It's really like watching Liverpool of earlier in the season play against Spurs when they were the clown car Spurs of Tim Sherwood. Or like watching J.K. Rowling Twitter battle Piers Morgan. Mm. And if it wasn't for Hugo Lloris and his strong wrist, his strong French wrists of an onanist, this one could have been like 5 or 6 nil by half-time. It, it could have been worse than the Bowling Green massacre. Second half, Spurs laboured. They lacked any kind of calibration. Kane a non-entity. Delhi had the snap of a chihuahua. Spent the last quarter of the game looking to dole out town snaps and sly wet willies rather than play world-class football. And when Spurs did threaten the off-maline Lucas, excellent at the back, just became a game more like a bar fight in which glasses were broken to be used as weapons. Eight yellow cards. And so we say, as they say in Germany, Mazel tov, Liverpool, your first big boy Premier League win of 2017. As you say, Davo, this team can beat anyone on their day. And it's no coincidence that this victory came after their first proper week's rest in ages. They've played 15 games in a 56-day period over Christmas. This squad is just too thin to play two games a week. But if they can take their opponents one at a time, they can do anyone with their intelligence, their work rate. Funny, Liverpool could play top six opponents every week, David. Yeah, no, they definitely get it up for the top six in a way that they don't seem to get it up for anybody else. Tottenham, weird for me. You know, they've only lost three games all season. They've only lost to very, very good teams. But I'm not sure I remember watching Tottenham play this badly this season. This is a first. <sighs> you know, they had a very bad draw away at West Brom early in the season, but this was a really poor performance. And you're right, without their first-choice players, this is the question about Tottenham, is that how deep is that squad can it last an entire season, you know, playing on multiple uh, fronts? It was a stinging loss, David. The war, I think, resuscitate a lot of the psychological questions still lingering in the recess of their long-term memories from last season. I mean, on one hand, you look at Spurs' performances at Anfield, a place they've only won once in 18 years, and this probably came as no surprise. But then you look at Pochettino's big game records on the road, and in the 15 games he's played since he arrived at Spurs, he's only won once. And that was at Manchester City, a shell-shocked Manchester City, when Pellegrini had just been lame-ducked by the announcement that Pep Guardiola would be crowned king of uh, the Etihad the season following. And this season, they've only won four on the road in 13 games, which is hardly title-challenging statistics. And you look at this game, David, 
And you think about Pochettino, he knew Davo that he had a second string back line, but he elected Pep Guardiola style to keep playing to his team's perceived strengths rather than adapting their strategy. They were on the road. They should have done what Hull had just done to Liverpool, which is sit back, shut up shop, let Liverpool come onto them and try and spring something on the counter. Instead, they tried to go head to head and they got absolutely battered. This was really like Spurs in the last four games of last season. Mm. Frustration and disappointed Spurs rather than optimistic and confident Tottenham will see how they rebound. Absolutely, Rod. I will say, watching Mane come off, Dave, and just melt into Klopp's loving arms, mm. this is Valentine's Day, and I will just say, I hope each and every one of our listeners finds someone or multiple people in their life who cuddles you like Jürgen Huggies, Mane. So uh, Liverpool get back into the title chase. Tottenham's still in there too. One of the big reasons what happened to Chelsea up at Burnley, Rog, the league leaders have to settle for a point, 1-1 against the ever-agrarian Clarets. Pedro, <laughs> my, my love, my love, Pedro, struck in the seventh minute. Only It's the only the first time I've really loved Rogers Pedro uh, in the seventh minute. It's his eyebrows, his eyebrow work. It's amazing. It is, only to have Burnley home debutant Robbie Brady Thump a free kick, amazing free kick, past Thibaut Courtois in the 24th minute. <sighs> Chelsea now eight points clear at the top, Rog, while Burnley move into 12th, boasting one of the best home records in the league. Fortress Turf Moor. It is. It's a, it's the, a footballing upside down, David. It's mm. what I've decided. Parallel dimension to ours, with the same locations and infrastructure as our world, but it's just darker, colder, full of tendrils, biological waste. And the monster created by one of Hawkins National Laboratory's experiments gone awry. Poor Bob. That's the only logical conclusion. How they do what they do down there, Davo. Tiny Burnley, who've earned one point on the road, but before kickoff, 28 points at home. And here, they faced up, this is astonishing, they faced up to runaway leader Chelsea Football Club and held them. Despite lacking their three midfield starters, Marnie, Defoe, Hendrick, all out with suspension or injury. Huh. And beyond that, having to feel Joey Bloody Barton. Yeah. Written off over and over, only to rebound, resuscitate his career. He's like a footballing Mel Gibson. Yeah. Started so well for Chelsea, Rog. Uh, Victor <sighs> Moses, who has been, I would argue, Conte's greatest achievement at the club. Taking a guy who'd been discarded, passed over, was not sure of what his position would be within, within his system. He's converted him into a great wing-back. Moses breaks down the right, uh, feeds Pedro. Pedro, perhaps Lethal Conte's second greatest achievement, turning Pedro from probably my least favourite player at Chelsea last season to my favourite player uh, this season. Pedro, poor nine goals in all competitions, Rog. He slots it. Oh, and Conte celebrating on the sideline. That man, he loves his outfits. He does. And in this game, he chosen to dress himself up as the Formula One pit boss. Yeah, Team Addy, Yokohama tyres. <laughs> but before the game, he told the press, Chelsea need to maintain their, quote, tension. Yeah. And it was just something they completely failed to do because having seemingly scored at will like a really athletic ogre, yeah. they then just lost their focus. Yeah. Almost shut down instead of finishing off their opponent, Tiny Burnley. Yeah. They took that blow mm. as if it was a glancing blow on their little hobbit chins. Yeah. And Sean Deitch's team, with their belief, they kept pressing Chelsea. They kept the field small. They smothered the area yeah. in which Chelsea had to play. They nullified the hazard cost of threat. I mean, George Boyd t- talked about the that the challenge that Turf Moor provides opponents, he said, the crowd are right on top of you and the changing room, it's not what opponents are used to. 
it's horrible and it's cold. And I think the misery of Turf Moor's toilets was compounded by the English weather, the freezing sheets of rain, yeah. just the driving snow. I mean, poor Pedro was shivering as he came down the tunnel. Yeah. And after coming out of the block strong, Costa, Hazard, Pedro, the Continentals, Davo, if yes. you will, they became decidedly muted. Burnley were finding space down the flanks, mm. taking advantage of Eden Hazard being caught upfield, leaving Alonso repeatedly isolated. And it did take a series of brilliant saves by Thibaut Courtois, or as he would call them, routine stretches, <laughs> that kept Chelsea's lead. But when the free world needed a hero, yeah. upstepped. Robbie Brady, Rod. Home debutant, Robbie Brady. Yeah, number 12. He of the club record $16.2 million transfer fee. Yeah. Smack that free kick past a flailing Courtois. At Kevin W. Butler tweeted us, 12, Brady, that name, that number, Courtois never had a chance. To which at John O'Brien said, why was there no smash cut to Giselle celebrating like mad in the turf more luxury boxes? Might check the ball for its relative inflation or deflation after the game as well. It just occurred to me. <laughs> and from that point, Burnley just went into tenacious mode. They defended with organisation. Michael Keane, the standout. Chelsea had 71% possession. Yeah. 400 more passes than their opponents. Yeah. Conte actually credit him. God love him. He wanted to win. He switched to the 4-4-2, brought on his punishers, Sesk and Willian, but to no avail. And God love Burnley. Burnley Sanders, Dave. Chelsea, feel the burn. Yeah. They've won now 97% of their league points at home. Some, but I'm trying to understand it. Ultimately, I think about it like this. Some people just love being at home. Yeah, like my dad. My father-in-law. Yeah. Just happiest on his home. T- he's like a different person. Yeah. With home comforts on his own terrain, his stuff, his remote control, his television. Well, it's his agrophobia. Large bottle of vodka. It's agrophobic, basically, yeah. Rod. Yeah, is that what it is? Yeah, we call them agrarian. I think it's actually agrophobic, is they're, what they are. They not, don't like leaving the house. They're not the clarets, they're the agrophobes. Yeah, they're the agrophobes. God love them. You're a different person at home, Burnley, and we love you for it. Yeah. But ultimately, this wasn't a bad result for Chelsea. Was it wasn't it? a bad result for Chelsea. Burnley, their home record is so good. The weather was terrible. Um, it's not a slip. They remain three games ahead. Yes, City, as we're about to talk about, have gained on them. But it's not a bad point. Oh, big result for Chelsea, to, to be candid. They've been so good against the not top six this season. But to get anything out of Turf Moor, uh, I think it's a win. They've been and pretty Burnley, good against the top six as well. A draw for Burnley against Chelsea is a win for the everyman. Yeah. Massive step towards survival for a tiny club who are now 10 points above the drop zone. Mammoth achievement for Sean Dyche, the double handicapped man by being both a ginger and a bald in a society which questions both. And most elated of all, Dave, Joey Barton. Yeah. He had a great game. Yeah. He probably had 100 quid on the draw. And a couple of prop bets. Yeah, last time there was a 1-1 draw between these two teams, I think it was the 2014-15 season where Chelsea won the league and Burnley went down. That was at Stamford Bridge, though, so perhaps it doesn't all around. Do you think Joey Barton had 100 quid on uh, the bet of do Continentals like it up and out? Yeah, no, that yes, might be. No. Yes, no. I'm not, not sure that's how prop bets work. <laughs> uh, but maybe, who knows who Barton's bookie is. Okay, Arsenal 2, Hull City nil. The Arsene out lobbies filibuster fails as an Alexis Sanchez brace, one of which was highly controversial, ensures Arsenal do not lose their third game on the spin. Arsenal are fourth, 10 points behind Chelsea. After suffering two humiliating beatings, I guess Marco Silva's Hull City, where their players mysteriously reborn like White Walkers, was not one you'd really relish. And in the early going, 
I found it surprisingly easy, or not surprisingly easy, if you've been watching Arsenal week to week, to access that Gunners back four, bevy of chances, best of which fell to the feet of the starstruck in the ass. Arsenal, though, similarly blunt, every chance they had, their attackers just took that extra touch, a symbol of the stress, perhaps, within which they're operating. And the frustration just grew around the Emirates, Dave. Every time they showed a crowd shot, you could just sense that there's thousands of Arsenal fans twitching to pull out their homemade Wenger out signs <laughs> that they'd secreted on their person. And on this day, at least, they never saw the light because huge relief in the 34th minute. Scramble in the whole area. Yeah, scramble in the whole area. I think we'd have to say a fairly large whiff of handball, uh, Rog, as the ball... Uh, goes into the back of the net. It's like a slam dunk. Confusion on the field. Confusion in the NBC studio. I mean, they said their handball needs intention. But as it turns out, it's actually not legally possible to score a goal with a hand because, as they quoted the referee authorities, it does not sit well within the game. It's impossible to score a goal with a hand. As recovering lawyers, we both know that there's law and there's equity. Yeah. And equity says the goal shouldn't stand it's just not fair to score with a hand. Having said that, Arsenal do lead the league in handball goals. Yeah. As any Burnley fan will tell you, where is the state of Washington's nice circuit when you really need it for justice? Mark Clattenburg, here sporting the worst beard since... Someone Dave won't let me name. Because <laughs> I'm worried we're going to get sued. <laughs> okay, go ahead. He took the remarkable step of apologising to Hull's players at half-time. But it didn't make any difference. The game just kept going as it had. Arsenal in the second half, lacking intensity in the killer edge. Meza Ozil fluffing his lines with a goal at his mercy, not scored since December. He's increasingly becoming like an inarguably great novelist, just publicly battling career-crippling writer's block, Mm. making the wrong decision over and over again in the final third. Hull didn't wilt until the 93rd minute when Arsenal killed off the game. Handball by... Klukas. Rog, from oh, Lucas. Klukas from Lucas. Yeah, Clattenburg spotted that one. Yeah, I know. He hates gingers. Yeah, he doesn't like gingers. Mm. One rule for gingers, another rule for the other head. And Sanchez spanked the penalty home. Two goals. Yeah. Didn't even need to penenker it. <sighs> Goal for each doggy. One mm. for Atom, one for Humber. Enjoy the Westminster dog show, Dave. We normally say, Dave, that when a team plays poorly but gets three points, it's to be applauded, but not really for Arsenal. They seem to desperately need to convince right now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And the look on their fans' faces at the end of the game, there's just, so it just doesn't all smell right at Arsenal uh, right now. I think a huge part of the problem, David, with, uh, with the Arsenal mood right now is the willy won't he surrounding Arsene Wenger signing a new contract at season's end. Rebuttals pouring out quickly after former Arsenal legend Ian Wright yeah. revealed that Wenger had told him late night at dinner that he's done, he's finished, he's come to an end. He was talking about his dinner. <laughs> <laughs> He was misinterpreted. He meant, I finished my dinner. You can take my plates now, mate. <laughs> oh, but the wintry sun smile on Wenger's lips at the end of the game even meant that he decided the retirement's off after that three points, or he and the rest of the world are still chuckling after watching Piers Morgan have his ass handed to him by Jim Jeffries on the Bill Maher show. Mm-hmm. Right at the final whistle, David, Oliver Holt, the English journalist, tweeted, as things stand... Arsenal are ahead of Guardiola's Man City, Klopp's Liverpool and Mourinho's Manchester United, and Arsenal fans want Wenger out. Does that make sense to you? Because it doesn't to me, to be candid. I think it misses the point, because ultimately the debate's about long-term trends, not where they are right now. Yeah, it's about season after season after season after season of 
Champions League qualification being the object, uh, not winning the league, and then the Champions League qualification, which was the object, they don't proceed in the Champions League uh, very far. And look, let's face it, yes, they're ahead, but no longer of Manchester City. They're ahead of one point over Liverpool and two points over Man United, uh, who are coming. They are really on the way, Rog. You have these five teams separated by four total points from second down to sixth. It is going to be a fascinating end of the season. Um, talking of Man City, Rog, they went to Bournemouth yesterday, beat them 2-0. Pep's side slide into second behind a Raz finish and a Tyrone Ming's own goal. Despite the win, City lost Gabriel Jesus. It's oh. what appears to be a quite serious foot injury. Yeah, it was a comfortable win in the end against a suddenly floundering yet still cuddly Bournemouth. Mm. But the big story out of City coming into this game, and even more so in the wake of it, revolves around Kun Aguero and the young pretender, Jesus, the Brazilian Jacob Tremblay. In a week in which Pep Guardiola did admit that maybe Sergio Aguero could defect from Manchester City at the end of the season, and all the gossip papers delighted in showing the core of City's team cozying up with their new child warrior hero. They took him out to Manchester's best Brazilian restaurant and all posed for photos with him. What's we have a wings? new god! <laughs> wings. <laughs> no, it's now, it's now become a... Wings has, wings has now become a Brazilian barbecue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mr. Wings has kind of just he's gone with the... Ch- I know. Out with the old. Going with the trends. Oh, and it all ended with Gabriel Jesus limping off after 12 minutes of a reported broken metatarsal for which he is elected to undergo surgery. Could be out for at least a month, probably yeah. more empowering tabloid papers uh, to go with the Jesus resurrection story that they all want to drop so eagerly around Easter time. I I say City's fans possibly doomed themselves. They turned up to Bournemouth with a Gabriel Jesus is the new Pele banner. No pressure then. But to be honest, lads, the new Pele, it's already trademarked by Freddie Adu. But he stretched in the box, seemed innocuous, like Rooney in the 2004 Euros, just stretching for that ball. Oh, against Portugal, remember that. And he had to limp off, and Pep went to his bench, gave Cunaguero the tap, a man who's oh so quickly been painted by the press as some kind of Manchester City version of Bastion Schweinsteiger. Schweiny. Just surplus to requirements. He charged onto the field like Daenerys Targaryen returning to Westeros from exile with dragons. God love him. He wanted the score so desperately, and he oh so nearly got one. City went ahead when Leroy Sané set up Raz. God, I love Leroy Sané. Quick mm. aside. He's got the afro of Maran Fellaini and the skills and abilities of a real professional footballer. Cunaguero just toiled, he swatted away, showed his muscle, he bodied the much bigger Tyro Mings, but it was judged to be an own goal. He would, you just knew by the look on his face, he's so badly. And Manny scored hundreds of goals so badly, wanted this one, probably wanted a few more. Should be noted, result could have been different if Willie... Oh, yeah. Hadn't pulled off a few tricks for a goalkeeper mm-hmm. in a City jersey, which are called saves. Yeah. And then David Silva just ran the game. I've said this before. It's an honour to watch David Silva with his assessment of time and space and his orchestration play football. One that we too often take it for granted. But a win for City and a loss for haters. Can you believe, Davo, in this season of flip-flopping wheels within wheels, that it was only a month ago Pep seemed to be on the ropes and yeah. in danger of being bludgeoned by the English tabloid press. Yeah. Now his team is second. Yeah, they're second, only two and two-thirds games back, uh, Rog, uh, from Chelsea. Once again, strength of squad. Yes, they're losing Jesus, but their strength of squad. Caballero in goal seems to have, like... Um, stopped the bleeding. Yeah, seems to have stopped the bleeding, solidified uh, that back line. I think this is an impressive result. Bournemouth have become a little shaky. But I still think they're a very tough uh, team 
to beat at home. Yeah, I mean, the, the only blemish on the nine-point City have won from the last nine available is Pep persevering with that dreadful overcoat. Sign of just how stubborn he can be in his decision-making. Yeah. It's his worst one since he defenestrated yeah. Joe Hart. Too many zips, swollen yeah. collars. At Jay Grier, the fire guy, tweeted us, Pep, that coat, he just loves overcomplicating things. Yeah, Mourinho moves much faster through his overcoats. He'll, 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 he'll change his overcoat tactics, his strategy, Rog. Uh, Guardioli gets very... Gets he'll humiliate some of his overcoats when yeah. they're not performing. He'll yeah. banish some of his overcoats. He'll buy hugely expensive new overcoats and yeah, then never not wear, play them. Never, never play wear them. them. Never wear them. Just never wear to the back them. of the wardrobe with you. Yeah. Oh, word on Eddie Howe's Bournemouth. And a really dark patch, struggling. Only Leicester have collected fewer points this year than their two. They've got a dogfight, a relegation dogfight. They're getting dragged back into it. For their next eight games against United, Liverpool, Chelsea, Spurs. One quick City detail. Jonathan Tannerwald of the Philadelphia Inquirer reporting. Breaking, breaking. Carly Lloyd. Yep. Now received an official offer to play for Manchester City women's team. Wow. And that she's likely to take it. Wow. She did come on our pod. She'd look good in sky blue. Ten days ago and say, this is the year to go away with no World Cup that if you want to go away and experience Europe and try and move your game out of its comfort zone, this is the year to do it. So perhaps wow, it should Manchester in Europe. come as a surprise. <laughs> it's, it's its own city-state. At Eric Wilde tweeted us and say, I would love to see mixed Premier League team exhibition games in the pre-season. Five aside. That'd be great. Charity event. I would pay huge money, he says to watch Carly Lloyd not make David Louise. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Uh, Man United 2, Watford nil. Jose Mourinho's side extends its unbeaten streak to 16 league games. Goals from Ferbian football boots, Juan Mata. And back from the cold, Anthony Martial. Keep United in sixth. Two points off the top four. Cruise control against they were resurging. Watford, who'd beaten United 3-1 earlier in the season, here, United could have had five or six if they weren't so wasteful. And Aurelio Gomez hadn't elected to channel his inner Guzan in the Watford goal. Mm. But once Juan Mata cutely opened the scoring, all one-way traffic, United kept feeding Anthony Martial, who'd been <laughs> the flesh wound at Old Trafford going into this game. He's 21. He'd had a 17-goal debut campaign under Louis van Gaal. Yeah. Seems like in an age ago, Davey. He's been in and out of this Mourinho team. Reports have his behaviour self-sabotaging his place on the depth chart. And against a backdrop of rumour, links to Spurs and PSG. What does Mourinho do, being Mourinho? Starts him. Yeah. (laughs) God, did he impress. Pace, intelligence, impudence, watching him finish sharply. I was just overwhelmed by a sense of nostalgia Mm. of when Martial was just a young player coming through. Everything was possible. How many yeah. years ago was well, that? I mean, trust, uh, last year, Rod. <laughs> Still have my own hair yeah. and my own teeth. Good news, United fans. Yeah. 16 game unbeaten streak. It's massive within the zip code of Old Trafford because bad news, it's barely making a ripple outside of your own locality. United remain off the pace in sixth place. Not a good look for a team and a manager whose default setting is everybody. Look at me. No, I think they're. I think it looks quite good for them. They've, but they're solidly in that peloton, Rog. I think they're coming. I still think they're going to make a statement this season. Okay, Swansea City two, Leicester City, Rog. The champions nil. Swans boss Paul Clement lifts his side to their fourth win in six games. A swivelling, Alfie Mawson volley, and an incisive combination cap by Martin Olsen move the Swans to fifteenth. 
Claudio Ranieri, meanwhile, looking less Uncle Jesse and more Uncle Junior as the defending champs sit just one point clear of the relegation zone. Okay, David. Leicester lost their last five Premier League games. We love you, Arlo. Not scored a single Premier League goal in 2017. That is over 10 hours of impotence. They're like a footballing Jersey Shore, David. Uh-huh. One minute, you're DJ Paulie. You've got a DJ career. Uh-huh. Pays you $40,000 a night. You've got your own brand of premix vodka pregame cocktails. You're hawking Paulie D. Bronze Beats tanning lotion. The next. No one even is remotely DTF. In your DJing bar mitzvahs and carburetor conferences at Foxwoods Casino. Yeah. How do you understand this implosion? Because it is a, it is a as big a mystery to me. I was trying to think with J-Dubs. This is as big a mystery as what? The only thing I could think of is why it's only on television that people sit on chairs the wrong way around. At the back of the chair in front of them. You know, like the emphatic guidance <laughs> counselor or the hard yeah. fair dad. I mean, what has happened at the King Power? What? Yeah. Uh, well, look, I think you can only look at what has changed, you know, physically since last season. They lost N'Golo Kante to Chelsea, you know. And I think you'd have to look at the evidence of what's happened at Chelsea since N'Golo Kante got there and how vital he was to everything that happened at Leicester last season. Uh, I think you'd have to say that the way that other teams play against them is that for last season, everybody just allowed Leicester to play their game. Nobody allows Leicester to play their game. Uh, right now and I think thirdly and I think this is a lot in common with what we saw happen with the champions the year before them with Chelsea how they fell apart last season players believing that they're bigger than the overall team that somehow they're better relative to other players in in the Premier League than they actually are and you know very lot of overconfidence and when it starts to get chipped away at by results by the reality of results that overconfidence becomes a lack of confidence very, very quickly. You know, I understand all that nodding, but to me, it's a Bermuda Triangle kind of mystery. Because we can have these theories, you know, conceit of the players, the loss of Kante, Champions League's a distraction, Ranieri's lost control. Yeah. The truth is, we never understood how Leicester did what they did last season. So true. That was an unexplained so miracle. True. You can't explain that, so how can you explain what happened to them the other way? You know, how do journeyman relegation zone fodder players with a mediocre manager all click at the same time and just destroy all comers, all have the season of their life in the same minute and defy economics as well as the big six and not wilt in the crucible of the spotlight? If we don't understand the apex, we can't understand the return to the nadir. Indeed, for me, the implosion... In all, it does make last year's success even more unreal, more fairy taler, if that's an adjective. Fairytalia. Yeah, just more fairy tale. Fairytalia. I mean, it's more full of human beauty. Yeah. I mean, it's almost all, uh, more incredible because it just it's fleeting nature. It just disappeared immediately and left no trace. Mm. The funny thing is, though, this is a Leicester side that's meant to be built for a relegation battle. Squad of grifters, fighters, but having them experience a title run has just totally degraded those. Abilities. They're like they're like the Beverly Hillbillies just yeah. drunk on oil money. It's like people who win the lottery and then their lives fall <laughs> apart. Sort of like that. I'm laughing. Yeah. I'm crying. Yeah. One question for you. Yeah. In a week in which Leicester's board gave poor Uncle Claudio Ranieri a, a quote unwavering vote of confidence. Mm-hmm. Football management's death rattle. Like Michael Flynn being told he's got the president's full confidence by mm-hmm. Kellyanne Conway. Should he be fired? Or do, do Leicester somehow owe him a a debt of loyalty after last season's exploits. I don't know. It's very, very hard to say. I mean, my 
instinct is that I'd like to see him stay. I'd like to be, see him be given another chance. But, you know, I know what football's like. I know what football fans are like. I know the, the price, the cost of going down. This is a team that were out of the Premier League for quite a long time. And um, who knows what they do? Who do they bring in, though? I mean, what do they do? Tom Bradley. <laughs> probably, Michael probably, probably neither of those guys. Michael Flynn might be more likely than Bob Bradley at this stage, Rod. I'm afraid. Oh, I'd just say economics means that there's no room for nostalgia in the footballing culture, uh, and I think Ranieri understands it, which is why he said, "I love this quote." He said, "Now there are a lot of sharks, and I am on the windsurfer." <laughs> That's how he described how he feels right now, which is how I feel uh-huh. when I wake up in the morning every single day of my life huh. credit Swansea who were magnificent Alfie Mawson opened the scoring with his third goal in his six last Premier League appearances Yeah. for point of reference let's just pull a random footballer out Wayne Rooney uh-huh. has only scored twice Paul Clement has now won more games this season than Guidoline and Bradley combined he's only been in Wales for five weeks and I love Swansea's fans just the joy they must have felt as they spent that second half just singing Champions of England you're having a laugh. It's why we love football. West Ham 2, West Brom 2. In the Battle of the Wests, the Baggies go a goal up, then the fall Broms. behind, only to snatch a draw courtesy of an injury-time equaliser by Gareth McCauley, which sent Slaven Bilic into full-on meltdown mode on the touchline. West Brom still in 8th, the Hammers in 10th. Sunderland nil, Southampton 4. After last week's 4-0 drubbing of Crystal Palace, the Black Cats crash back down to earth. Two goals from former Napoli man Manolo Gabbiadini leave Sunderland in dead last two points from safety. Stoke City 1, Crystal Palace nil. The Potters this is take Reed's results. three points thanks to a 67th minute <laughs> Joe Allen strike. He likes chickens. Palace are 19th, two points <laughs> from safety and looking very much like they'll be caught in the relegation Rochambeau <sighs> for the long haul. Do you know what I loved about this game? I didn't love it, but it moved me. Uh-huh. Rebecca Is this something Lowe. to do with the professionalism of Rebecca Lowe? Yeah. Wow. Oh, professional. How do you know? Yeah, I just read your, read, your, read your look. At the final whistle of this game, yeah. after her beloved Crystal Palace slumped ever nearer their doom. Oh, she's a Palace fan. That's never, she's just repressed. Never seemed likely from all the broadcast. emotion mm-hmm. and simply said, disappointed performance. Let's go to West Ham. Back in a mo. And you just know she's dying inside. Yeah. Yeah. Dying. By the way, talking about Palace, sad news for a true great friend of the pod. Yeah. Crystal Palace mascot, Kayla the Eagle. Oh. Has been grounded. No, you're kidding me. Yeah, by Selhurst Park staff. Uh-huh. Over fears of her spreading bird flu. Oh. Yep. More news on that burning <laughs> issue in our other pod, Kestrelling Today. <laughs> uh, finally, Rod, Middlesbrough well, nil, Dear. Everton nil. After last week's nine-goal thriller <sighs> with Bournemouth, Everton leave the Riverside with a nil-nil draw. Rog, let's go through this blow by blow. Yeah, game seems to drag on for eternity, David. Yeah, like a handshake with the well, Japanese maybe. prime minister. Uh-huh. We played our babies. Yeah, As played the babies before the game. Ronaldo Koeman, he said this game is going to be harder than any we faced. I prefer to play Arsenal at home. He said rather than Middlesbrough away, because Middlesbrough soak up every inch of space. Arsenal always leave it. He said it would be tough, and it was. I mean, credit Victor Valdez, who just absolutely snuffed out both Lukaku and Baby Luckman when they were one-on-one. But Everton had very few chances, hmm. and it was one of those games, you may, ha- you may not have them as a Chelsea fan, where you spend 85 minutes just so angry that your team are not doing the business, 
And then right at the death, one of the opposing attackers, Gested in this case, headed the ball goalbound with a ferocity that could not be stopped only for Joel Robles to just make a oh, flying man. save. And I just realised meekly in that moment that I'm just lucky to leave with a point. In news we submitted to PolitiFact for confirmation this weekend, three, Info yes, Wars. three Swansea defenders made up this week's perfect 11. Carl Norton, Alfie Mawson and Martin Olsen. Big ups to Drowan1733, who finished first in our league despite not starting any of them. So a patch on its way to you, Drowan, and a reminder that our league is still open to all God. GFOPs. Just download the Tiger app on your phone and you're off and running. It is amazing, Tog, and new reasons for me to feel miserable about myself. It's mm. really what I needed over the course of a weekend. Togger managers worldwide get a rest this weekend. That's because the Cat's Deli Pastrami sandwich that is the Premier League is replaced <laughs> by the FA Cup, Rog. More a turkey lunchable. But just like a lunchable, there is a tiny gem in every FA Cup box. This weekend, it is fifth tier part-time as Sutton United oh. hosting Arsenal at Gander Green Lane. Capacity 5,013 <laughs> with only 765 of those seated. Oh, Dave, the way you're talking about that, you're really talking about the romance of the FA Cup. Oh. A phrase so overused, it means almost nothing. Yeah. This season, though, Sutton United, uh -huh. that non-league team from the fifth tier of English football filled with part-timers. Sound like the men in Blazers pod in football form. Huh. They've single-handedly mounted a crusade to restore the tournament's fading magic, beating League One Wimbledon, championship giants Leeds United. And now this team, who are currently in 16th place in the National League, have earned a place in the last 16 of the FA Cup. This Monday at 2.55pm Eastern Time, the mighty U's will welcome Arsene Wenger's Arsenal to their tiny Gander Green Lane, leaky roof terraces and all. It will be can't-miss television because Sutton's journey has been a human wonder packed with enough characters to fill out a Tolkien epic. There's Paul Doswell, the coach, a 50-year-old Bill Murray lookalike who vapes on the sideline during games. Yep. Their captain, Jamie Collins, goal-scoring hero against Leeds, who works on a construction site. And above all, Wayne Shaw, their 46-year-old backup keeper, a 280-pound mountain of a man who sits on the bench and watches on in full-throated wonder to celebrate Sutton's feet. We invited the goalkeeper himself to come and fill us in on how the club is preparing for the game of their lives and how their world has changed since the victory against Leeds. With Arsenal awaiting, we welcome to the pod, Mr. Wayne Shaw. Roly-poly goalie here. <laughs> the roly-poly goalie. Wayne, it is an honour to have you. I've got to ask you about life in Sutton here, I mean, right after you beat Leeds, Sutton United's official Twitter account sent out a message that said, thanks for all your messages. We're sorry. We simply can't respond to them. The bar is open all night, followed by 12 double beer emojis. Take us inside that party, Wayne. It really started from the game previous when we played Wimbledon. The gaffer tweeted, there's a party back at the club. And we all went back there. I served behind the bar from 11 in the evening till <laughs> half past two. And we finally got rid of everyone about quarter to five. And then we drew Leeds, played Leeds. We won one nil. And the party continued right through probably till the draw when we pulled out the mighty Gooners. I love the Sutton story. 
mostly because of the characters that we've seen who are wrapped up in it. And I am interested to hear if, uh, a little bit more about some of those characters from your point of view. Doswell, your manager, he seems to be the heart and soul of the club. The gaffer pulls everyone together. He's so passionate. Not only does he do it free of charge, he actually puts money into the club as well. He funded the 3G surface that we got there, which is an excellent, excellent surface. The turf? Yeah, the turf is £400,000. I don't know what that is in dollars. But, uh, a crap load. Of money. A crap load. <laughs> a crap load, yeah. Uh, what I love about Paul Doswell is that he vapes during the game. What's it like being on the bench watching your manager have a puff? <laughs> He did get told off in the last game. The fourth official said, you're not allowed to vape on the touchline. And really his words is, I can do what I want. <laughs> can, can you clear up a, some mystery from an American perspective? What exactly is he smoking during the game, Wayne? More of a menthol a vapour, which is an oil. He used to be a smoker. He now vapes. Cools. That cools are the secrets of success. I mean, he's not alone in terms of the characters. Y- your team, they're all part-timers, bricklayers construction factory workers but so was Jamie Vardy when he played non-league football back in 2012 how would you describe the quality of your players at Sutton and the secret of their success they've all got great pedigrees there is a few players that were at Arsenal before and come through their youth products and even played in Champions League football we've got probably about eight or nine hundred football league experiences in the side itself so we're no mugs <sighs> And you, you live in Southampton in your real life. Is it true you actually sleep in the club's media room during the week? Yeah, I do. We done a photo shoot yesterday with one of the newspapers over here and he had me laying on the two-seater sofa. I'd probably need a four-seater, to be fair, and the feet hang over the sides. But yeah, <laughs> by the time I get to sleep at night, it's around about 11, 12 o'clock and then I'm up again at seven working at the club. So there's no point in commuting 170 miles to and from Southampton. By the time I get home, it'll be time to go back again. I see a couch sponsor in certain United's future, Jennifer Convertibles, if you're listening. We talk about the magic of the FA Cup. We talk about how that magic has disappeared. But what a difference these games have made to your club. $376,000 you earned from the last round. It's like manna from heaven. Can you describe how the money that's coming in through this FA Cup dream run is impacting certain United? She's an old lady behind the scenes and she needs a little bit of a tarting up. So she certainly will get a bit of paintwork. The chairman's an accountant, so every penny is accounted for. We have to get free quotes before we can get any jobs done and they'll always go for the cheapest one. So <laughs> we might be able to uh, tip him upside down and shake a few more pennies out of his pocket. <laughs> Wayne, take us to the draw for this round. You're watching together. The hand goes into the bag and they pull out Sutton United against mighty Arsenal. Describe your emotions. The ball come out. We're at home. Ball number four. When number six come out, well, the roof just come off the bar area, the Times Square lounge. and It's got a few leaks in it. So (laughs) when the roof come off, we know we're going to be able to fix a few leaks. Do you not crap your pants or are you just like, bring it on? When you crap your pants is when you realise how much work you've got to do to stage the game. It's full on. It is like a circus there at the moment. Everyone wants to know us, which is nice, but we just hope to keep a few of them afterwards when we've played Arsenal. What message did your manager come up with in the aftermath of the draw? What was his message? 
he just wanted to concentrate on the next game and we're 16th place in the league and we are part-time and there is 16 clubs that are full-time in our league. And he just said, we are six points away from relegation. So in all seriousness, we need to get ourselves out of this and then reflect maybe in March, April time when we survived and stay in this league. We should make it clear, you train twice a week as part-timers, right? Yeah, if we got a game on a Tuesday, we won't train on Tuesday. We go away and play the game. And then we train on Thursday. It'll only be a light session because there's quite a lot of travelling to do. Players probably have to take Tuesday, Wednesday off work and possibly go to work Thursday afternoon. So we've got to use our holidays that way. When you've watched Arsenal this season, as I'm sure you have, what weaknesses do you see? I don't think there is any weaknesses. Is there? The leveller could be the 3G pitch we've got, the surface, the turf. That might sway a little bit whether they fancy it. I mean, that is probably your greatest advantage, the off-the-field realities, your ground, Gander Green Lane, capacity just over 5,000 and really just over 5,000 with its metal stand and leaky roof. Can you describe the changing room at Sutton for us, the facilities Arsenal are going to be using? How are the showers? Yeah, the showers are poor. Hopefully the pump will be working that can pump the water out. Sometimes that freezes up. There will be a cold shower. There's only four showers in there. We play in chocolate and amber. and The changing room is chocolate. We're welcome to Sutton United. So it's a little bit dull, to say the least. But, hey, we're looking forward to having them in town. It's pretty primitive, especially for pampered Premier League gents like Olivier Giroud and Meza Ozil. Do you think that might unnerve them? Possibly. I would have thought so, being pampered. They've never probably experienced something that they will experience when they walk into our old lady. Gander Green Lane, we'll see what their reaction is when they get here. I mean, I do think about it like this, Wayne. You've never played a club like Arsenal before, but you've got to ask yourself, how many of their players will have played a club like Sutton? Yeah, very minimal. We do play pre-season games, which are friendlies, and we do play the likes of Arsenal, but more their academy under-23 teams. We play Crystal Palace and Fulham's, but they never really put many first-team players in. Only players are probably going on in, coming back from injuries. There might be a few of the lads that played against non-league teams regarding the Arsenal team, but they wouldn't have come to the changing facilities we got here in the any walk of life that they've been through. I want to talk about the game with you Monday night. As the game approaches, have you had any stress dreams, Wayne, in which you're in goal? And let's say Alexis Sanchez uh, is running in on you one-on-one. I've had a few quotes where Alexis Sanchez has gone through and Wayne Shaw, the goalkeeper, has eaten him and the refs played on. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a foul, is it, Wayne? That's not a foul, no, definitely. It's not a foul in the National League. Have you thought about, in-game, what would go through your mind if first-choice goalkeeper Ross Warner... And I would not wish this on anyone, especially not Ross Warner. But if he succumbs to injury during the Arsenal game, you see him go down, you're on the bench. What would go through your mind? Um, it would be, come on, enjoy the moment. And that will be me finished with football, playing-wise, forever. I would just sit back and gloat in the glory. But I, listen, Ross Warner and the team, it's about them. But if the chance does arise and I got a bit of game time then that would be my life story and I could probably live out on it for the rest of my life it'd be fantastic yeah just to give some context you've been listed at 280 pounds 
You've dubbed, <laughs> you've dubbed yourself the biggest keeper in Britain. <laughs> I am 46. I'm 19 stone 10, so I don't know what that is in pounds. I am probably the biggest keeper around more ways than one. You, you, you told Sky Sports that your heft allows you to, quote, command the area. And Sutton's club mascot, Tony Henderson-Smith, told the BBC that your reflexes are brilliant. He said, I've seen him in the bar, and if there are any sandwiches around, you know, Wayne's always first there. <laughs> it's normally the burgers, not the sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> Every goalkeeper's got his weakness, Wayne. Are you aching to get on the field like Begovic at Chelsea, or is a little bit of you afraid? I'm not afraid. If the occasion comes, I would get on. I would have goosebumps and I would not let anyone down. I quoted last time that I remember William Perry being the fridge. I want to be your fridge freezer. <laughs> the American, the English fridge freezer. Be, you, 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 there's, an, there's an NFL player whose nickname is Pot Roast, Terence Knighton. And I've got to tell you, I think you are the Terence Knighton of English football. And I say that, Wayne, with awe. And respect. Have you got any plans to? Uh, have you got any plans post game to try and get Peter Check or David Ospina's jersey? When I was playing for Eastleigh against Southampton, they had a young lad called Theo Walcott who was 15 at the time. And we played him in a friendly, and Theo smashed this ball past me, and I didn't even move. So it'd be nice to catch up with him. And also, Alan Shearer does a commentary for BBC, and I was with Alan at Southampton as a junior. Obviously, I ain't seen him for probably 30 years. It'd be great to have a five-minute chat with him. So I am looking forward to it and maybe get Theo Walcott's shirt or get Peter Cech to send me one on. It would be fantastic if I could do that. I've got to tell you, when Theo takes penalties, when this game does go to penalties and you're in the net, he goes bottom left every single time. I think, <laughs> I, I th- I think right, it, I'll I th- take that on board. <laughs> Sutton United, part-timers, you're now going to play 12-time FA Cup winners Arsenal. They are 104 places above you. As we speak, you guys train just twice a week. How would you handicap your chances, Wayne? Whatever will be, will be. But we are dreaming or hoping of a draw. And we think we can take them back to the Emirates. The stuff that football is made of. Listening to you, all I can keep thinking in my head, Wayne, is your story is why we watch football. It really is. But I have to ask you a dark question. If you don't win... The chance to be part of a squad meeting the mighty Arsenal in the FA Cup. Something that very, very, very few of us get to experience. Ten years from now, when you look back on all of this, this circus that you've described, what do you think you'll remember about it? I think that would be the only time we can reflect when we look back on it. Everything's flying by so quick at the moment. It would just be unbelievable. Stuff that dreams are made of. And I know how much the FA Cup meant to me when I was a child the cup final day on a Saturday and watching these side, the minnows against the big boys. We are the minnows and it's just a fantastic, fantastic feeling that we are going to be playing Arsenal and let's keep dreaming. Wayne, may your dream long continue. Enjoy every second. You and the club, everyone at Sutton United know that there's thousands of Americans cheering every move you make on the field against Arsenal. We wish you... Godspeed, Wayne. Thanks, Roger. Much appreciated. Love to America.
Oh, Rog, that was brilliant. The roly-poly goalie. When you're tired of the roly-poly goalie, you're tired of life, David. That's brilliant. And he is the kind of man that makes me believe that my long harbour dreams of a professional football career are still possible. <laughs> I am available in the supplemental draft, Minnesota United FC. The chocolate and amber's clash with Arsenal starts at 2.55pm Eastern Time Monday. We're up, Stone. On Fox Sports 1. The rest of your FA Cup weekend looks like this, Rod. Saturday, Burnley take on the only other non-league team left in the competition, fifth-tier Lincoln City at 7.30am Eastern Time. They won't be freaked out by the dressing rooms. Wolverhampton Wanderers host Chelsea at 12.30pm. And Sunday, two former Premier League champions clash as Blackburn Rovers. Remember them, Rog, visit Manchester United. That game is at 11.15am. All of those games are on the Fox family of networks and they are in Wijnaldavision. There are many other ways to connect to us. One is through our Amazon Emporium, which helps keep the show going anytime you go on Amazon for items big or small. Just click off the Emporium page. Men in Blazers gets a tiny percentage that allows us to cover the cost of creating this podcast. What are you going to put in the Emporium this week, Roger? A book! Oh, A Horse Walks Into a Bar Mm. by David Grossman. Yeah. A novelist who was a hero of mine back when I was a kid. His non-fiction book, Sleeping on a Wire, about the predicament of Arab citizens of Israel, shaped my youth. Mm. But this short novel, it takes place during one night of stand-up in an Israeli comedy club. Mm. An awful set by an appalling comedian who unravels both as a comic and a person in the course of the evening. Most of the book is his monologues, which spiral completely out of control, becoming a parable for societies in which shock becomes so common that we all lose connection to the values which once moored us. It's a short, brutal read by a bloke I so badly wanted to have come on the pod, David Grossman, but the only days in New York is on the 27th when we're taping our next television show, Davo, mm. and he's such a grave, moral, wonderful human being. Even I wouldn't subject him to our pie. I'm putting a book in the Emporium as well. Uh, Rog, it's a little early in the season for barbecue equipment. Uh, <sighs> this is Rome. Read this to George last night uh, by Miroslav Sasek. These are beautiful books. Gorgeous. Uh, written starting, I think, in the late 1950s to 1960. That's when This is Rome was published. Uh, he was a Czech emigre, ended up working for Radio Free Europe. He's a <sighs> beautiful writer, but also a beautiful illustrator, beautiful artist. He made these fantastic books about the great cities of the world. This is New York, this is London, this is Rome. Um, this is the United Nations, one of my favorite ones. This is, this is Ireland, I love that book. Um, they all are about these beautiful cities, beautiful drawings, but ultimately I always feel that they're about homesickness. They're about a man who was rather like the photographer Cortez, could never go back to his home country. And um, just beautiful, beautiful. I read it last night, was quite struck by uh, <sighs> what a wonderful children's term that is. It's also nice, it's a, one of those rare books that you can read as a parent and enjoy as much yourself and get as much out of yourself as your child can as well. Oh, mate, you're trying to out-miserable me. Uh, maybe, maybe you, a little. You'll never out-miserable me, my friend. That, that's true, I do know that. Uh, that is just $16.15 uh, in hardcover. Uh, on the Amazon. Lots of other ways uh, to connect to us. Visit meninblazers.com to sign up for our newsletter, which we produce with our partner Guinness. Especially if you live in Seattle. 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 You can follow us on Twitter at meninblazers, at Embassy Davies, at Rog Bennett on Instagram, at meninblazers, at Embassy underscore Davies. Follow us on the Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. You can always email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. We have a musical pod special, special, special going out this week, Mm. featuring one of my musical heroes, really is a remarkable human being. Barry Manilow. Oh, 
God, I wish. He's yeah. one of the Holy Trinity with okay. Barb and Neil Diamond. Huh. Almost up there. Jens Leitman. What, the former German goalkeeper? Oh, yeah, who makes uh, beautiful Swedish thought music huh. in his off time. Um, also on that, a fantastic bloke from Parquet Court. Uh-huh. It's Austin Brown, who lives and dies. Yeah. Mostly dies at the moment oh, for Manchester true. United. He's a beautiful, beautiful bloke. We loved having him in. Okay, look forward to that. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Madombo? Explosure. Play the babies. Take that, Gloria. Is that your analysis? To tweed. Abrigado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Happy Valentine's Day, Rog. And happy Valentine's Day, your world champion, Seattle Sounders.